Hello. Morning. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be together. Um, we are in Luke's gospel. Very excited to continue. Very excited to see what God has for us today. I just want to thank you all for uh, Pastor Brandon. You saw there. Anybody see that very Texas looking shirt he was wearing? Um, give him a hard time. It's fun. Uh, we, you guys helped us send $15,000. So thank you. Amazing. Yeah. And so, uh, just as he said, lots of open doors to share the love of Jesus. And so we appreciate you doing that. Um, and also just want to echo again, if you're a college student and you're considering that internship program, please do it. Um, we have, well, if you notice, a lot of those people that are interns or were interns are now serving somewhere else uh, in a church somewhere. And so God used it as kind of a, a launching place. But the true secret behind it all is that they are a blessing to us. Uh, we really love being around them. It makes us not feel so old. So uh, I want to pray for us as we get going. Um, we say hey to everybody online as well. We're so thankful to be together. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the grace to uh, know, Lord, that you love us. And God, that you got us here this morning. No matter what our current circumstances or what's happening in our life, Lord, you got us here. And wherever we are, Lord, many of us can mark the moments where you have held us together, where you have sustained us, God, where your um, fingerprints are all over our lives. And so, God, we just say thank you this morning if we're in a place of, I don't know, maybe a really difficult place, maybe a place that feels kind of dark or our hearts feel a little cold this morning, not quite awakened to the reality <clears throat> of your kingdom or your love for us. Um, we want to pray, Lord, we want to ask, because you tell us to, uh, that you would wake us up. And Lord, I pray, um, and it's always a good thing for us to pray scripture, but I just want to join and pray a very familiar prayer from Ephesians for us this morning. And Paul prayed it for the church in Ephesus. And Lord, we're going to pray it for us this morning. Uh, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, Lord, would you grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit this morning in our inner being. Let Jesus Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. And God, give us understanding that we are rooted and grounded in love. Or maybe we have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And we're okay if you just throw us into the deep end. We would just like to experience that greatness of your love to know the love of Christ. Lord, that surpasses knowledge, which is sometimes hard for us. We kind of want to know things. We want to know how it all works, but let it go past our head knowledge today and fill us with all the fullness of God this morning. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. So if you've been studying with us, we're in Luke chapter 10 um, this morning. If you want to start turning there, and I'm going to set the stage uh, telling you about my first mission trip ever. I was in high school. I had a youth leader named Bill Barton who was super fun and kind of crazy. 
And he invited me and a couple of my buddies to go with him to Jamaica to go on a mission trip. And uh, I was just, he had me at Jamaica. I was like, let's go. That sounds awesome. Now a hurricane Gilbert had just demolished the island. And there were so many homes destroyed and a church had been destroyed. And so he was connected with some people. And so we were going to go up into the mountains of Jamaica and rebuild this church, share the love of Jesus just by serving. And so, but I wasn't going because of Jesus. I wasn't going because I understood the mission. I was going because it was Jamaica. And I was excited because it was going to be my first flight ever. I'd never been on a plane. So we show up in Miami at this little side airport in Miami. It's dark. Uh, the sun is just starting to peak above the horizon. And my first flight is going to be on a Cessna. Now, if you know what that is, it's like cardboard with a propeller. It's nothing to it. It's the smallest little single prop plane held maybe eight people and the kind where you actually do have to think about how much your luggage weighs. Like it, it could take the plane down, like that kind of thing. And so, and I was stupid as a kid. Like I, I packed this huge bag and this person who doesn't read and didn't read at the time put like five hardback books in there. It's like, you never know a week. And I mean, it's like, I didn't open one book. So I remember putting my bag up on the scale and it was like just shy of 50 pounds for a week. And so we're standing there and the pilot has us standing in a circle. So we're not sitting in seats. There's no, we're standing in a circle outside looking at this plane. You know, and you're seeing planes take off in the distance. And so I'm, oh, this is awesome. This is going to be amazing. He's talking and his mouth is moving and words are coming out of his mouth. I'm not listening. I'm watching the plane. I think this is going to be so great. I can't wait to get on the plane. Like, what does it look like in there? I'm trying to like peek over his shoulder, look in the window. Can I see the controls? Where's that thing? You know, this thing that they use in movies and stuff like that. And so the only phrase I heard was this one. So if we have to have an emergency water landing, that's what you do. I was like, like I didn't actually didn't raise my hand because I was afraid to say something because I knew I wasn't listening. So he goes, okay, load up. I was like, oh my goodness. So the whole time I am afraid, I won't know what to do if we crash in the water. I'm like looking down like this, terrified the whole flight. Eventually I started to enjoy it. This morning, I want you to picture yourself standing on the tarmac in a little tiny airport and a little tiny plane and Jesus is your pilot. And he says, we're going to go on the greatest mission in the world. And it's going to feel like it's a Cessna. It's going to feel like, because it's not a 747. It's not a billion dollar jet that has weapons and we're just going to take over. It is a little bitty plane. And it's going to feel like you're flying over the water and you're not going to know. And because you're young in the faith, Chad, you don't really know what's going on. You're not even going to know how this all works. But you have a great pilot this morning, Jesus. He's inviting you. And my prayer as we study is that you'll understand that it is the greatest mission you could ever embark upon. And number two, that it's dangerous. Dangerous, costly, that it will cost you something. So Luke chapter 10, we'll jump right in 
And let me hopefully explain what I mean. After this, the Lord appointed, which means he chose, he decided, here's the ones I want. He gave them a special calling, 72 other people. Now he had 12 guys first, didn't stop there. He's like, this is going to spread. I need 72 more. And he sent them on ahead of him. Very important whenever you see Jesus adding this little thing ahead of me, where I'm about to go. Two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Not sending you anywhere that I'm not going, that I don't have a plan for. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, standing in front of you, to send out laborers into his harvest, not yours, not your responsibility to harvest those hearts, but it's my harvest, but I'm asking, pray for more people to be sent. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And if there was a soundtrack playing at that moment, it would have been or very serious moment. Carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals. Don't even talk to anybody on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. You can imagine them kind of being like, what's a son of peace? What does this mean? But if not, it will return to you. I didn't know I had peace to give. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. So they're probably good Jews and they're like, even bacon? You sure? Heal the sick in it. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Do you see it? We're wiping it off against you. Okay. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you as we wipe off the dust against you. Anybody do that this week? Anybody head into like Rolling Stone or Rushford and knock on some doors, get rejected, and then go in the middle of the street and shout at the top of your lungs, I'm wiping the dust of this place off of my feet. I didn't. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom. Yeah, that one. Old Testament, fire and brimstone raining down than for that town that says no to you. You guys some horse eyes at this moment. You guys know what horse eyes are? What? Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. He's talking to cities and towns. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The Lord chose and appointed this is part of his plan and don't make the mistake of thinking that what you're reading here when you read the gospels and you read a story about Jesus and something that's happened that it's like a newspaper. It's like, ah, oh, what happened today? Oh, look at this. Jesus went and he sent out 72 people. Isn't that interesting? 
No, this is the plan. He's unveiling the plan that has been in place before the foundation of the world. You guys may hear me say that all the time until you're sick of it. I don't care. I'm going to make you more sick. Because you have to see that it's not a random thing. And though it wasn't a redo and he wasn't like, oh my goodness, the Old Testament was so lame. I got to redo this whole thing. It's the plan. It's been in place before the foundation of the world. And that mission is personal. It's person to person. So he doesn't stop with 12. He says, I need 72 more. And eventually there's going to be a whole lot more that I'm going to send out. We're going to see, hopefully, (laughs) that the mission they are on and the one we're called to as well is life and death. The stakes are as high as they get. Now, this is the Mount of Olives. Ready? There it is. Is it working, Ken? There it is. This is the Mount of Olives Cemetery. And so this is the famous place in Israel. If you go with us next summer, if we hopefully get to go, um, you get to see this. And there are, as you see, thousands of graves, tombs, all stacked in as close as possible on the Mount of Olives. Now, why is that? Well, Zechariah 14, Old Testament passage says this. The day of the Lord will come and his feet will touch down where? On the Mount of Olives. It's not figurative. Jesus will return and he will put flesh on the Mount of Olives. And so good Jews knew this verse and they thought, well, we know there's going to be a resurrection. And if it's this body that gets resurrected, then I want my body to be in the place where Jesus' feet, not Jesus, they were saying the Messiah, but we know it's Jesus, where the Messiah is going to touch down so that I have a front row seat and I can go, hey, I'm right here. I bought this spot. Front row seat. These are the stakes. Life and death. What's one appointment you will keep in this life when you die? Everybody will keep it. But more importantly, you will stand before the Messiah. You will stand before the King and give an account for your life. That's what we are dealing with when it comes to these people being sent out. They're not sending out to give hugs. They're not being sent out to just hand out food and water. Those things can be a pathway and an open door for sharing the love of Christ. But what's the message? It's life and death. The kingdom of God has come. The king is here. You need to respond to the king. So they're being sent ahead of the king to say, Jesus is coming. Sound familiar? Does it sound familiar to the mission that we have? We have been sent into the world to tell people what? Jesus is coming. It's the same mission being played out here in a little kind of mini theater as Jesus was actually going to walk to those towns and talk to people. But he also says this, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Lambs in the midst of wolves. Here's the thing. Jesus will never ask you to do something, nothing, that he will not give you the grace and the strength to do it. So whenever you see a command in scripture, though in your sinfulness, you can't keep it, neither can I. But according to his grace and the cross and the resurrection, he goes before us. He makes a way. So save for something like to keep yourself pure sexually before marriage. Is that possible? 
Jesus says, yeah, it is possible. I can give you the grace and strength to do that. If you've made mistakes there, I can give you the grace and strength to wipe the slate clean and to start again. How about to be freed from a sin that you are addicted to? Is it possible? Is this something you could be like, Lord, it's just impossible that you're asking me to do this. He says, no, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't gone there before on your behalf. That's what the cross and the resurrection does for us. I'm going before you, I will be with you and I will show up at the end, never leave you. He will never ask you to do something that he is not gonna provide the grace and the power to do. So when he says, go and speak for me, He's going to be giving us what we need. Now, there's a misconception about missions in the Great Commission. And if I've heard it sometimes in stories to say something like this, God needs us. If we don't do it, like there's, there's I've seen like little dramas. I remember this in youth group where there'd be somebody being like, they're in hell and they're burning and it's awful. And they can speak back from the dead and talk to you. And they say, if you'd only told me, why didn't you tell me? That's not what the Bible says. In fact, the only story that's kind of like that is the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And what does Jesus say to him? No, no, no. They wouldn't listen if you came back from the dead and told them. They have Moses and the prophets. They have everything they need. God does not need us to do this. He wants you to be with him as he does this. It's about relationship doesn't need you. The very definition of God, if he needs something, he's not God. If this is dependent on us to accomplish, then he's not God. He will get everybody he sets out to get. But he's inviting us to be a part of this great mission. So he says, pray earnestly to me. (laughs) Pray to me so that I'll send out more people. I wonder how many are in this room because somebody answered that prayer. Somebody was the result. I can say that I am all the way back to Miss Agatha, who was my first Sunday school teacher. And I was a holy terror in her class. But she faithfully told me about Jesus. She loved me. I remember she even had like five or six of us little boys over to her house, made cookies. We're like probably like running laps in there. Miss Agatha, there were other Sunday school teachers, there were youth leaders, there was a youth pastor, my mom, my dad. What are they praying? Lord, go after his heart. Let there be people in his life that will cause him to say yes to you. That's the prayer. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Well, Lord, what about the wolves though? I don't like that part. You know, the world kind of believes that it has outgrown Jesus, outgrown Christianity. In fact, it is less and less acceptable in Western culture for you or me to speak boldly about Jesus Christ and his word. But I would say at the same time, it has never been more urgent and applicable to our world that we speak of the love of Jesus. But the danger is going to be right in your face. It's going to be right in your face. Jesus says, do it anyway, do it anyway. The instructions though, if we approach them like a checklist, you can imagine the 72 disciples, everybody line up. Are we ready? Did you leave the money? Yes. Did you leave the knapsack? Left it. Sandals? I'm barefoot. Check. And remember, don't say hello to anybody on the road. Don't even look at them. 
And what do we say when we go to a house? Peace be to this house. And then we go in. No, you wait to see if it's a man of peace. But what if we find a better house? Nope, you stay there. And then heal the sick. I don't know how to heal the sick. Me neither, but he said to do it. And if we actually see somebody healed, we say the kingdom of God is here. And if not, we shake the dust from our sandals. No, we don't have sandals. We shake the dust from our feet. Let's go. Everybody feel ready to run out and just follow those instructions to the letter? No, it's kind of weird, isn't it? What is he really saying then? Depend on me. There's another verse where Jesus is talking about that wolves among lambs, kind of wolves actually going after the lambs moment later in the New Testament. And he says, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say in that moment, but you still got to speak. You still got to stand with him. And the words to these towns, it is no small thing to reject Jesus. It's not a small thing. He says it's more bearable on that day for Sodom and Gomorrah fire raining down. That's pretty bad. He says, no, that'll be nothing compared to the judgment of those who say no to my kingdom. Judgment is on the lips of Jesus. And he doesn't say, ah, always lead to me. No big deal. You'll get there somehow. Is that what Jesus says? No, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So when people reject you and your message of the gospel, they're actually going to be rejecting Jesus, which means they're rejecting the Trinity, which means they're rejecting the plan put in place before the foundation of the world. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. Jesus, this all seems pretty serious. I don't know if I feel comfortable talking about judgment and life and death. I mean, can I just hand out water or something? Serve food at a shelter? How about a check? I can write a check. Is there a lambs among uglier lambs option rather than wolves? Like, you know, something simple like that. anything I could do? Well, these folks actually went. I didn't say those things, even though that's what I said when I thought about it. Let's see what happened to them. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and they said, it worked. Lord, even the demons. That's the first thing you want to talk about when you come back from your little mission trip. Listen to this. Let me tell you about the demons on this trip. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, pretty much affirming what they said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You guys were out there doing your thing and I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Lord, we did what you said, and the demons actually had to do what we say. They had to respond to us. Notice they didn't say, we talked to people. We healed people, though they did, and though they did, speak about the kingdom of God, what they wanted to talk about and they had an understanding of, and this is kind of getting at that thing of understanding the stakes and how high things are. They wanted to talk about this supernatural, cosmic, spiritual war that was going on when they engaged in the mission of Jesus. 
It wasn't just, yeah, we did some mission stuff. It was great. What great memories. And we helped some people and I learned a lot and it was awesome. No, they said we were, it blew our minds and hearts, Lord. We saw that this is the fight of fights. This is cosmic battle. This is eternity stuff. And Jesus said, you're right. You're right. I saw Satan fall when you actually did what I said. I've given you authority. What does this mean to have authority? And he says to tread on serpents and scorpions. And unfortunately, where I come from in Tennessee and some other places, there are some well-meaning, but very, very off churches that took this literally and decided, hey, we're going to hold a snake up here. that's very poisonous. And look, God is with us. And then somebody gets bit and they fall down. And then everybody says, well, that was stupid. That isn't what he means. That's not what he means. What does he say? Over all the power of the enemy, Satan is going down. You follow my heart, my mission, he's going down. All the power of the enemy. Think about that. All the power of Satan. That's the authority you have when you walk with Christ. It's pretty comprehensive. The fight has just begun, but I see him falling and nothing shall hurt you. Think beyond flesh and blood. Think Romans 8. What shall separate us from the love of God? Life? Death? Angels? Demons? Things present? Things to come? Things on the earth? Things under the earth? Nothing can hurt me if I'm in Christ. The stakes are as high as they can get. And the way Satan is revealed... Though it is a cosmic battle, the way Satan is revealed as falling is not fireworks. It's not bolts of lightning flying from people's church experience and like, whoa, we're fighting the enemy. You know what it looks like? People, one person at a time, they're coming and they're saying, hey, do you want to hear about what Jesus did for you? And they're saying, okay. And Jesus says, he's fallen. It's working. He's falling one at a time. This is why Jesus says, don't rejoice that you have this authority. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does that mean? In Revelation, we get this picture of Jesus has something called the Lamb's book of life. And the names written there are those who will enjoy eternity in his kingdom. Your name's not written there doesn't mean you go away or you're annihilated. It means that you have an eternity apart from Jesus in judgment and hell. Oskar Schindler was a German man who began World War II as a profiteer. I'm going to show you a picture here of this list. And this is what I want you to think about. And though he began as a profiteer, he saw Jewish people as a way for him to make money. And so they were cheap labor and he could use them to make money for himself. Eventually his heart began to change. And the guy that was uh, working for him, a Jewish man named Itzhak Stern, uh, started to help him make a list of names. And I, I'm sorry to those in the first service, I showed a clip even though we paid for the licensing to show it. Facebook is too fast for us and they took it down just like that. So I'm just gonna talk you through this story. Um, he started buying people, buying people. 
using every, so at first he was, I want to make money. And now he said, I want to use every dollar I have to buy people. And you see this picture, it's like Sturm was like, you're not, are you buying people? Are you buying people? And at this one, once he realizes that's what he's doing, Isaac Stern types the final name, it's hundreds of people. And he takes the list out of the typewriter and he holds it reverently and then he stacks them up neatly and he holds it up to Oscar and he says, the list is life. All around its margins lies the gulf. What does he mean there? All around the margins, wherever there's not something written, is death. It's the gulf of death. If the name is written, though, it's life. They're saved. The original title of Thomas Keneally's book is not Schindler's List. It's Schindler's Ark. It's appropriate, isn't it? Saving them. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. All around its margins lies the gulf. If your name is on the list, though, you're saved. This is what Jesus says to rejoice in. Not only that your name is on the list, but that your job as a follower of Jesus is walking around to people and saying, do you want to be on the list? I can get you on the list. He's made a way for you to be on the list. When you make a decision to follow Jesus and you further make a decision to engage in his mission to save the world, you're going to have this moment of incredible clarity where the veil between here and there and things that are temporal and things that are eternal all of a sudden starts to make a ton of sense. And you'll say, I get it. I get it. This is life and death. The stakes are high. This list is the most important list you can have your name on. I was made for this. I was made for this. Is it dangerous? Yes. Is it costly? Yes. Where there'll be rejection? Absolutely. But this is life. The list is life. And when you see somebody cross over, not leave this world, but cross over from death to life, like Colossians 1.13 that says he has transferred us, rescued us from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the son he loves. When you see somebody do that, your heart says, whoa, not whoa is you, but whoa, this is life. This is amazing. I've prayed for people in this church over the last year for your families. And for some of you, you've called me and we've talked about a family member or a friend and it's clear they're lost. It's clear. They're just captured by sin rejecting Christ, rejecting Jesus. And I've heard the angst in your voices. And in my heart, I'm like, I don't even know what special thing to say to get them to be convinced. But I said, but we can pray. We can pray. And we prayed. And in some in particular, there's been a couple of instances where I've prayed just almost like Hail Mary prayers, seriously, like football Hail Marys, not Hail Marys like Catholic, but just like, I don't even know this is going to work, Lord. Okay. That kind of prayer. And it's one of the things we prayed for. Number one family member in particular, make their sin detestable to them, Lord. 
We prayed that. And honestly, I prayed it just so, I don't know if this is going to work, but I prayed. We prayed on the phone. It was within an hour. That person called me back and said, you are not going to believe this. They just received a text message from that family member saying, I've decided I can't do this anymore. We were like, it works. You mean it works? (laughs) The list is life transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the son that he loves. If you're looking for a prayer to pray, there's a simple one. Jesus, get him. Doesn't have to be complicated. He loves childlike faith. He loves childlike prayers. Jesus, get them. Go after them. Years ago, I remember seeing a story out of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Um, This guy named Calvin, who was completely addicted to drugs and on the street. And his wife um, would actually, actually said, he, you know, he doesn't come home. He's gone for days. We don't know where he is. So they're at a prayer meeting at church. Music's going, everybody's praying, they're fired up. Guess who they're praying for? Calvin. Whole church, hands up, everybody's praying out loud, going for it. Lord, bring him home, bring him to salvation, get him out of this addiction, get him out of the grip of Satan on his life. So it's like they're praying 30 minutes, an hour, the whole prayer meeting is is devoted to get Calvin free. And in this moment of almost just like pinnacle, like everybody's praying, the music is going. Jim Cimbala, the pastor at the front said, Lord, we're praying for Calvin. And here he is. And Calvin came in the back door, walked down the middle of the aisle and got on his knees. Everybody was like, it worked. And you can go online if you want to look this up on YouTube, look up Calvin, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, The song is called, I am clean because Calvin sings it and he's got an amazing voice. But he says, I'm clean, I'm clean. I've been washed in the blood. And you watch him, he tells the story, he shows you, here's where I used to go to get my drugs. And this is what happened that night. And this is how I somehow felt like I had to show up in church that night. It works, the list is life. And we have the privilege to ask the Lord of the harvest, bring people in, send people out. You have the ability to get somebody's name on that list because you know somebody, you know the somebody, I know him. I can help you get on that list. When we understand this, we move from self-focused living to kingdom of God living. Jesus has something to say about that. He actually gets pretty fired up. Look, verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Look at that. We got the Trinity in one verse. Jesus, the Son, rejoices in the Holy Spirit and says, I thank you, Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have hidden these things. I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, but you've revealed them to children. Simple faith. People that pray simple prayers like Jesus, get them. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me. Don't fly past that. That's a really big statement. All things have been handed over to me. 
by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Miriam, go down the list, David, all the names. They wanted to see what you're seeing, but you're seeing it. I'm standing right here. They did not see it. And they wanted to hear what you're hearing and they did not hear it. You know, Lisa and I absolutely love watching our kids grow up. It's just one of those parent things. It doesn't matter what they're doing. You love it. You love watching them. But there is a special joy that comes when your kids start to get this and they start to realize why they're here and who Jesus is and how big this mission is and that we're all kind of undercover here and that this is the cover of the book and the table of contents and that chapter one actually starts when we get there. There's a lot of joy that happens in hearts of parents and spiritual parents when we see that happen in our kids. Did you know that Jesus and the Trinity feels the same way about you? Rejoices when you get it. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. And what was he rejoicing in? What was he thankful for, for revealing these things? So let me just real quick tell you again what these things are. These are things of the kingdom. These are things that have eternal stakes. These are things that move people to a place of understanding, of knowing that following him and telling others about him is the most important thing in life, that I'm in the fight, the real fight, that my name is on the list in heaven, that I'm seated in heavenly places with him. I've been granted authority from Jesus. I get it, Lord, I get it. And I get to invite others to be on the list. That's what he's rejoicing in. That's the these things that's exciting. When he sees this happening, when the Trinity sees this plan unfolding, yeah, there's rejoicing and thanksgiving. And listen to Jesus, that little phrase here that I said, don't skip over. It's a gem and it's one that you need to understand. And sometimes we need repetition because we don't quite get it. We start to get something and then he says it again. But he says this, it's my harvest. I'm the Lord of that harvest. I'm sending you out into my harvest. You're my kids. And the only reason you're understanding any of this is because I chose to let you. Anyone to whom the son reveals the father, he chooses to let you get it. So if you're getting it, you can say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm getting it. Because I know that you just made that happen. I couldn't do it on my own. Let me say that phrase again. All things have been handed over to Jesus. All things. I love this picture of earth. I'm kind of a sucker for pictures from space. It's really cool. It's one of those things I want when I get to heaven is a tour of the galaxy with Jesus. Let's, let's hit Jupiter today. Okay. Um, but I like also, it's kind of a reflection of, look at this amazing planet that he spoke into existence. And then look at our little lights. Look what we did. We made lights. Jesus says, it's all mine. It's all mine. All things handed over to him. Nothing in your life is out of his reach. You may think, no, 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 I have established this whole life apart from him. I keep him on Sundays. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll creep in on a Wednesday or something, but I got this whole other thing that's outside of Jesus. It's not really in his scope. And Jesus says, uh, you want to bet? 
It's all under his authority and it's all under his weighing and judgment that one day it will all be held accounted to you from his authority. It may take us a while to realize this. That's why we need that repetitive, grace-filled truth coming to us consistently and faithfully. And how does he do that? Time in his word, participation in the wonder and simplicity of being here in the church, gathering together, listening to his voice, praising him in worship, offering our hearts to him, repenting of our sin, receiving encouragement, sometimes a little bit of spurring on from our brothers and sisters. He's committed to telling you. You're in that process. You're at some phase of that process, but you may be stubborn and resistant. Do I have an amen to that? I'm, I say amen to that. I am stubborn and resistant. I don't want to hear the truth sometimes. I'm calloused and bitter. So sometimes he uses more difficult means because we think we're so smart and we don't need him. I love G.K. Chesterton's quote though. He says, perhaps we have grown old and our heavenly father is much younger than we are. I've outgrown him. I don't need this. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So how do we respond? What's, what's our response? There's a lot of woe to use there to whole towns, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. If you go to Capernaum today, nobody lives there. It's a museum. But what Jesus said about it, you think you're going to be exalted? No, you're not. You're going to be brought down. Capernaum is not a town that you live in anymore. What Jesus said would happen, it did. So how should we respond? We better know him. We better be on that list. Because when it all hits the fan, and it will, you want to be known by him. You want to know the father. And what does he say? Jesus is your key to that knowledge, to that revelation. No wisdom, no riches, no education, no power, no status, no TikTok followers, no influencer status is going to get you there. Jesus says, that is nothing to me. Those things are nothing to me. Be known by the son, know the father through the son. And if you're seeing it, Jesus says, you're blessed. You're blessed. If all things are in his hands, whether you realize it now or then, one way or the other, you will, you'll realize you're accountable to the one that everyone, everything has been given over to. Everything is in his hands. So I want you to have this picture as we um, move to communion now and have the worship team come on up. I want you to see Jesus holding the list. I want you to see him holding the book of life. I want you to see that that's you die and you wake up because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord and you wake up and your first view of heaven is Jesus standing there and he has this book. Picture it. The book of life. And realize that this morning the invitation stands for you to have your name written eternally in that book. What would I say to you? make sure that your name is in it. Make sure that your name is in it. It's been paid. The way forward has happened. He has purchased you. That's what the cross is. You're buying people? Yes, he's buying people. He's buying people. Misconception is that he's paying the devil. That's incorrect. 
Who is owed? God is owed. Atonement, a price paid to God for our debt because of who he is, he cannot let sin go. Jesus says, I'll pay the price so that this one can be written in the book of life. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to sit at the table with the King of Kings, friend of sinners. And then he says this, oh, and bring a friend. Bring a friend. That's what we're called to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, as we come to your table here, that the ability to even sit at the table, to even think about sitting at the table is because of what you've done for us. Because of the price you paid, you paid our debt. Lord, as one pastor said, you lived the life we should have lived. You died the death we should have died. And Lord, we must respond. And that charge to respond to you will be, if we don't do it in this life, we will. It'll be the first question that's asked. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with what he did for you? Let me see if I find your name here. As we come to the table, you can go ahead and uh, do the awkward thing of crinkling your communion cup. But I do want you to remember this is not a new thing. This was not a, oh, hey, this would be a cool thing to do in the New Testament. This is an old thing. This goes all the way back to the Exodus and the Passover, which was when God was sending the angel of death to those who were not, did not have the blood over the door of their house. Their life was taken. But to those who did, there's a picture, a foreshadowing of Jesus, his blood applied to our hearts. He would pass over. So we had them sit down. It was a Passover meal together. Isaiah has this passage. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as from one whom men hide their faces, he was despised, we esteemed him not. That was written hundreds of years before the crucifixion. But then he said this, surely, and this is, there's a surely moment that you come to. He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So as they were eating together, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Let's partake together. I was telling the first service, I'm careful when I open this cup because sometimes I get home and I look at my shirt and there's little splatters. And so I'm always like, well, I better be careful. But it's so interesting, the Lord was like, hey, Think about it, sprinkled with, it's like it became this like, oh yeah. I came home and I was like, I have, oh, I have communion juice on my shirt. 
perfect picture of what is supposed to happen to your heart, to be sprinkled clean with the blood of Jesus. He took a cup when he had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake together. Lord, minister now to us as we sing. Um, Take these truths from your word and uh, deposit them deep into our hearts. It's this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand as we sing?